Well, it was, uh, obviously it was an eventful week, weekend, and uh, we're in the presence of greatness today, I want you to know this, Teacher of the Year at Riverside Intermediate, Lisa Finn was selected Teacher of the Year, congratulations, that's awesome, glad you're a part of this community, and uh, just a Obviously, uh, we live in a great community. And I'm not. I'm talking beyond Leavener, talking uh, Fishers, Noblesville, Hamilton County. We, you know, you're you're voted the safest place in the country, and everything else. And then this tragedy happens. Uh, there's not much that you can do to stop evil completely. I know people are crying out and saying, we got to do something, we got to do something. Let me tell you, um, I know our community has been doing something for a long time in preparation for this. And they were well prepared. And uh, we're not going to stop evil until Jesus returns. That's just the, the bottom line of it, people. is. And so until then, we'll continue to work together together. Uh, Fight together and love together. That's that's what we do. This is what we do, and uh, it is a beautiful. When I say uh, beautiful community in here in this room, uh, I'm glad I'm doing this journey with you. I really am. Uh, so I'm encouraged, and we were. It was nice to know that everybody was praying for Ethan and Chloe as they were at their school and uh, checking on them, make sure that they were protected and safe. So uh, just thanks for being who you are, and uh, we'll continue to be a light. And here's here's the other thing is, um, Friday did not surprise God. Friday did not surprise God. And the question, as a chaplain, you get asked all the time, well, why didn't God intervene? Well, maybe God did intervene. <laughs> maybe he sure did intervene. Uh, there's one big theological word that I will never attempt to understand. And it kind of sounds like I'm sloughing off on the answer, but there's this word called sovereignty, the sovereignty of God, that I, I cannot explain the sovereignty of God, why things allowed to happen and other things are protected and healings and all that i i don't know i know there's a big picture there's a big picture and when we zoom in we focus on this you know this one little classroom or one incident that uh all the questions come but there's a bigger picture and someday i'm assuming we're going to know that answer we're going to know that answer but until then I trust my Father. I trust. I trust my God that will He'll continue to protect us, take care of us, and um, believe that with all my heart. So, uh, I'm glad you're here today, and uh, pray for those that are at the track that they don't swelter, die today. But it's going to be hot out there. I'm glad you're here in the air conditioning with me. Uh, That's right. That's right. That's that's kind of cruel, there, Rick. <laughs> it's kind of just let them swelter. 
I like that. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're picking up in the Gospels where we left off, if you remember, for the last few weeks. We've been on what what has been described as the Mount, Mount of Olives Discourse, the Olivet Discourse. And uh, the disciples are all sitting around with Jesus. Other people are sitting around, some of the Pharisees, Sadducees. And they're just asking him questions. Man, what's about to happen? What's about to go down? What's going to happen to you? What's going to happen to us in the future? And Jesus, obviously, as we took the last about four or five weeks, just explained the end times. We talked about uh, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. We talked about um, possible rapture. We talked about uh, the second coming when Jesus returns. We talked about the millennial years and Armageddon. There was just a lot that was covered in the last four or five weeks. And so that was like Tuesday afternoon. And now uh, we're, we're going into Tuesday evening. We're literally going into the Passover week. I believe this is like week 56 of this gospel teachings that we've done. And we're just now getting to the Passover, which is going to take us a little bit of time. But, but know this. A Jewish day, a Jewish day started at sundown. So we just finished the Olivet Discourse on Tuesday afternoon, and now it says, I'll back up to Luke 21, it says, During the day he was teaching in the temple, but in the evening he would go out and spend night on what is called the Mount of Olives. Then all the people would come early in the morning to hear him in the temple. So this was even happening the week that he's getting ready to die. He was still teaching. But you ask the question that, you know, our day starts when? When does our day start? Midnight. Midnight, right? That's just the way, for some reason, we've, we've done it. But the Jewish people, they get this from Genesis chapter 1. Watch this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Now watch this. There was an evening and there was a morning. One day. Now all of a sudden you understand why the Jews said, the day starts with the evening and ends with the daytime because they went back to Genesis chapter 1. So now we are in Tuesday evening and it is a new Jewish day. All right? And we're going to cover the last three chapters. I have no idea how long it's going to take for us to cover these last three chapters, but uh, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which we've been going through. Three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are what we call synoptic gospels. They're very similar. And watch this now. You can remember this. That they end, Matthew, how many chapters are in Matthew? Does anybody know? There's the Great Commission, which is like the, one of the last things, and that is Matthew, what? 28. So there's 28 chapters in Matthew, in Mark, does anybody know how many chapters there are? 16 chapters in Mark. And in Luke, there are 
24. So these are the synoptic gospels. You've got 28, 16, and 24. You're probably not ever going to remember those numbers. But you can remember this. The last three chapters of all three of those books deal with the Passover week. Like today, you're going to see the betrayal of, Ju- of Jesus by Judas. That's going to, so if you back that up three chapters, there's Matthew 28. We're actually looking at Matthew what? 26. If you back it up from Mark 16, you're looking at Mark 14. If you back it up from Luke 24, you're looking at Luke 22. So they, they deal with Judas, then they, uh, you, your last chapter is the resurrection, the crucifixion, the resurrection. And you can always know that those last three chapters of those synoptic gospels are going to be parallel with one another. So we're looking at Matthew 26. Let's jump right into Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, all these things that we just covered over the last four or five weeks, all of that discourse, he told his disciples, he says, you know that the Passover takes place after two days. Wait, the Passover takes place, this is Tuesday, but wait, it's really Wednesday for them. It's Wednesday because it's a new day. So in two days, on what day? Thursday, which is like Friday morning or Friday, the new Friday for them, the Passover is going to take place. Now, it says it uh, takes place two days and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Crucifixion. It is probably uh, one of the worst ways that a person can die. And it wasn't even created by the Romans. A lot of people think that the Romans are the ones that created that. But you can go all the way back through Scripture and see that... Uh, you can go all the way back to Genesis 3.15 where it talks about uh, the, head, the, uh, the ankle being bruised and the head being basically smashed... This is what Jesus was going to do. This was the first time that we knew that a Messiah was coming was in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Then you can go to Isaiah 53, and you can see about the suffering servant and talks about really him being up on the cross. So we think that the Romans invented this, but that's not the case. I believe, before we even read Genesis chapter 1, that God, the Son, and the Spirit were in existence. And they had a plan. And they knew all along that Jesus was going to be crucified. That was the plan. From, from I guess say day one, but there, there's really no day one, right? You go eternity past, eternity future, there's always eternity, both, both ends. And so the three of them were in agreement that this was what was going to happen. That Jesus was going to be crucified. Now he said, it's two days before the Passover, I read this passage to you uh, a few weeks back, but let me read it to you again and remind you what Passover is. I take you to Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 through 14. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Your year. That month would be Nisan in the Jewish calendar. 
it was actually in the Old Testament, it was called Abib, but then it was changed to Nisan in the Jewish calendar. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, Nisan, that they must select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person in the neighbor nearest house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year old male. You may take it from the other sheep, from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. Let me stop right there. It says you're supposed to take it on what day of the month? The tenth day of the month. If you back up and remember, the tenth day of the month when Jesus was there was actually Sunday. And Jesus came in to Jerusalem on a donkey. He came in on a donkey and for four days he was actually examined by the Pharisees and the scribes. Exactly what was happening here with the Passover. You bring the Passover lamb, sheep, goat, and on the 10th day, and you observe it for four days. And this is what was happening at that time on Tuesday with Jesus. It says, you are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. The whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. At twilight. This would be on Passover day, right before it turns into Saturday. This would be on Friday, before it turns into Saturday and the sun goes down. It says they must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat that meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire. Its head as well as its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning you must burn here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. We'll talk more about this Passover here in the next few weeks as we get into uh, the Last Supper. It says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will not destroy your family. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This all happened hundreds of years before Jesus was here. And they're still practicing the Passover even today. Here in 2018, it says, This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statue. Therefore, Jesus says, I'm doing this Passover because God said we were supposed to always celebrate this time. And so now Jesus is preparing his disciples saying, we've got to get ready for this Passover because God's told us to do it. Now we jump back to Matthew. 
It says, then the chief priests, this is in verse 3, then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the courtyard of the high priest who was named Caiaphas. Oh, watch this. You have to look on the, the board. Check out this picture. We were actually there in this very courtyard. That courtyard, my daughter took that picture. Uh, this is Caiaphas's house to the right. Actually, they built a church on top of Caiaphas's house. His house is not there and it's not in existence. But typically what happens in Israel is wherever the place was, the Catholics have come along and built churches on top of it. And this is what's happened here. But this is the very courtyard that they're all standing. The scribes and the Pharisees are standing in this courtyard, maybe even under that very tree, and they are freaking out. Now, if you look, there's a trail just to the left of that courtyard. And that trail goes down. If you can see uh, that group of trees on the left, and right near... Yeah, near the top of those trees, there's a white block there. That is actually the Temple Mount. That's how far Caiaphas' house was from the Temple Mount. And literally that night when Jesus left, he walked down that path right there with his disciples and went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He had to like walk to the Temple Mount, down the Kidron Valley, and up the hill to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is all that place right here. But these Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes were standing there going, we have a real problem here. We've got a real issue. Verse 4, it says, And they conspired to arrest Jesus in a treacherous way and to kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so there won't be rioting among the people. You see, because at the Passover, all the Jews from around came to Jerusalem. And Jesus is there in Jerusalem, and Jesus is causing all these problems, and people are following Jesus, and they don't know how to get rid of Jesus in the midst of this festival, this celebration that's going on, and everybody's there. How do we get rid of him without everybody being alarmed? Because if we don't get rid of him, if we don't get rid of them, we're all going to lose our positions. We'll no longer be the scribes and the Pharisees because what Jesus is teaching is not the same thing that we're teaching. Like Jesus is bringing in a new covenant and we're still teaching the old covenant. We'll, we'll lose our position, we'll lose our jobs, we'll lose everything that we've worked for. Yet if we kill him, everybody will be against us and there will be riots. Now what do we do? We're stuck. They're standing there in that courtyard just freaking out. And I'm sure everybody's talking over one another. Again, this is not a surprise to God or to Jesus. I take you to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It says, Acts, you remember, is after the Gospels. Like the crucifixion has already happened. It says, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. The Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. Like, God already knew this was going to happen. It was his plan from the beginning. 
You use lawless people to nail him to a cross and to kill him. The crucifixion was God's plan all along. Now, that's the same parallel passage that we have in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. It says, It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a cunning way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so that there won't be a riot among the people. Same thing, Luke 22, verses 1 and 2. Then you get to the evening, and I'm sure that Jesus is going back to Bethany. And do you remember where he usually stayed when he went to Bethany? He stayed at Mary, Mary's house with Lazarus, with Martha. Remember that? So let's look at the next verses. Verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head. Now, you're not talking like a milk jug and just like drowning Jesus with a... I'm sure she was very graceful about how she poured this this oil, this lard, this placed it on his head. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. She just took this expensive bottle of perfume and just poured it all over Jesus. And just think what we could have done with that expensive perfume. We could have sold it and fed people. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. She saw an opportunity that is only going to happen one time. And she took advantage of that opportunity. By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Oh, wait. That just changed it. This woman understood what was about to happen to Jesus. This was the typical anointing that takes place once the person dies as they anoint them so their body doesn't smell bad. But now this person, this woman, has said... I know what's about to come, and I'm preparing you in advance. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. In other words, you're going to be remembered forever for doing this act. They're going to talk about you at Pinheads in 2018. And you will always be remembered for this act. Now, I take you to Luke chapter 10, verse 38, and it gets a little bit more descriptive now. It says, while they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Simon the leper, same home, Martha's there, same home. Martha, you remember Martha, right? Martha and Mary? 
said she had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. This passage I read to you back in October the 29th. If you take Luke chapter 10 and you go back into our teachings of the Gospels, I read this months ago. Like this incident right here happened a long time from where we are right now. And then I take you to John chapter 12, back to where we are. It says, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving him. <laughs> Did you hear that? What was Martha doing? What was she doing in October 29th? She was in the kitchen. Right? She was in the kitchen months before this. And Mary's like, Hey, can't you tell Martha to just come out here and just like relax, chill out, and hang out with you? And Jesus said, Martha, look, Mary's doing the right thing. I'm only going to be here for a little bit. Just come out and hang out my feet. Just come out. I want to hang out with you. Stay with me. Now, months later, Jesus comes to the house again. What is Martha doing? She's doing the exact same thing thing getting the meal ready serving the meal making sure everything's taken care of somebody asked me at panera tuesday he's like do you get tired of teaching the same thing over and over and over i mean they they literally ask he's like don't people just come every week and uh hear hear the message about their identity of who they are in christ and hear the gospels and it doesn't have any effect on their life I'm like, it's happened for years. It's literally happened here for years. That people come here, they hear the message, they understand the truth, they actually believe the truth. They just have a hard time trusting the truth. It's easy to believe. It's hard to trust. So when they ask me that question, I thought about this passage right here it's like you know even jesus struggled with the same thing jesus taught and taught he taught martha yet martha still ended up doing the exact same thing that he had taught her months before it says martha was serving them and lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with them then mary took a pound of perfume oh it was mary that anointed jesus with the perfume well, that makes sense. She was the one that was at his feet back on October 29th. John tells us it was Mary. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair so the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of his disciples, and John names him, 
one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Judas, of all people, stands up and says, What in the world has she done? Do you realize what we could have done with that? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Now John just got pretty descriptive. You realize that John wrote this probably after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. He's writing this after all this has occurred. And so he has a great understanding of now who Judas was. It's not like he's writing a diary right there. He's written this years later. He says, because he was a thief, he was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of it that was put in it. <laughs> now, that's it's kind of an interesting thing, right? If God knew that Jesus was going to be crucified, surely he knew that Judas was going to be a thief. Why in the world would Jesus appoint him over the money bag? Great question, right? And Jesus answered, Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And then, uh, last passage that we look at here this morning is this. is Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16. It says, Then one of the twelve... The man called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they waited out 30 pieces of silver for him. And from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Now, 30 pieces of silver. What's the significance of 30 pieces of silver? You go back to the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah, one of the last prophets in the Old Testament. Look at chapter 11, verse 12. And this is the Lord speaking in reference to the good and bad shepherds that are watching over the people, the nation of Israel. You see, the people of Israel were considered a flock. and There were people that were shepherding them. And this passage right here was really in reference to the value placed on God by the Israelites who had been oppressed because of their own disobedience. The Israelites are being oppressed. They've been scattered everywhere because they were disobedient to God. And now all of a sudden they're going to put a value on God as a shepherd. Watch this. Zechariah 11 verse 12 it says, Then I said to them, If it seems right to you, give me my wages. God's saying this to the people of Israel. But if not, keep them. So they weighed my wages. Guess what it was? 30 pieces of silver. This is prophecy. Throw it to the potter, the Lord said to me. This magnificent price that I was valued. I was valued for 30 pieces of silver, God alone, by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord to the potter. 30 pieces of silver. Luke 
he gets a little bit more descriptive in chapter 22, verse 3. It says, Then Satan entered Judas. How do you, how do you deal with that? Then Satan entered Judas. I'm, I'm a total believer that uh, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Consumes me. Look, look. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the Lord of my life. And because of that, He took my old heart out, put a new heart in. He took my old sinful nature out, replaced it with a new nature. Now this Holy Spirit has taken this temple, this earth suit, this body right here, and He has taken up residence inside this body. You're looking at the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Just as He does you. He's consumed me all out 100%. There is no room for the devil to enter inside of me. I may get oppressed. I'm, uh, the devil is going to work on me. There's this power of sin that works in my flesh, but I don't believe that I can be possessed. I believe the devil can definitely work on me. I believe he can be all around me. I believe that he can do evil things to me. But he's not going to consume me. He's not even going to be in me. But it says here, then Satan entered Judas. What does that lead you to believe? If I believe that about me, I'm not sure that Judas was a believer. Hang on. Satan entered Judas called Iscariot who was numbered among the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priests and the temple police how he could hand him over to them. They were glad and agreed to his to give him silver. Watch this. Watch this. They're all standing out there in the courtyard. They're freaking out. How do we do this privately? Judas comes along, one of Jesus' own people, and he says, hey, I'll help you guys do this. What? That's the greatest news we've heard. You're going to help us get Jesus out privately so we don't have to do this publicly, and then we can continue with our scheme that we're doing. You are the answer to our prayers, Judas Iscariot. They needed him to be arrested privately. They needed Judas Iscariot to be a witness so they could call in Pilate to bring in the Romans to kill Jesus. Not only was he going to arrest them privately, but he was going to be a witness to them so that it's not even in our hands to kill him. Pilate will bring him in. If Judas says so. Verse 6, it says, So he accepted the offer and started looking for a good opportunity to betray him to them when the crowd was not present. I've got to find a quiet time to betray my Savior. My Savior? I take you back to John chapter 6. We've already read this. Last verse. Watch this. Verse 64, this is Jesus speaking. It says, but there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. Jesus knew all along who didn't believe and who was going to betray him. He, He knew. 
He knew it was Judas. He hung out with Judas for like three years with all the guys. Never blew his cover. Probably protected him because he knew that Judas was going to be the one that was going to sell him out. He says, he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me and then unless it is granted to him by the Father. You see, I believe that God knows what's happening today. I believe with all my heart he knows. I can't begin to explain why things happen, why things don't happen. I don't know I'm not God. Thank goodness for that. But here's what I do know. My God has a plan. I believe it with all my heart. And now I have to trust it. Hardest thing I have to do is to trust it. Lord, I trust you with my life. Not only do I believe it, but I trust you. So, Father, I pray for uh, faith. I pray for faith, not only for me to trust it, but for my friends that are sitting here. That you know exactly what's going to happen this next minute this next month, that you know what's going to happen Tuesday when those kids go back to school. That you already know. And so, Lord, because of that, I trust you. I trust you with all my heart. I pray that for my friends here today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.